It's such a wonderful privilege to be able to study the Word of God together, and especially in the book of Psalms. And the great news for us this week is that Andrew Wong sent a message to us that we're going to continue a few more series with Psalms. So I think that's wonderful. And as we look at today's important passage in Psalms 90, I think it's really relevant to us. And so before I start, I think it's important that you ask the Lord to help us. So shall we pray? God our Father, we thank you so much that we can hear your voices in this wonderful book. The Bible which is made so easily available to us. Father, even as we hear the voices of our peers, even as we hear the voices of the media, they call us to pursue the things that is in this world. Father, we know, we know that no matter how attractive it is, it is only temporary. Father, may we be able to see that it's your voice that really matters. It is your voice that will show us the reality of our life. It's a voice that will show us who you are. It's your voice in this wonderful book that will reveal to us what is really important. So Father, we pray that today's passage will show us that. And please, Lord, open our eyes, open our minds, and open our hearts to be able to do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I'd like to... Start off with a question. I mean, if you have Bible, you just keep the passage open to Psalm 90 and also the bulletin outline as well, so that you'll be able to follow. Yes, I would like to start off with a question. Is life long or is life short? Well, many of you who may have known me, I'm more than 40 years old. I may not look like one. <laughs> So the other day I was doing a computation. Actually, uh, there was a surprising thing that I found out. I found that the major part of my life is actually spent as a student. Actually, to be true, it was... For most people, it's 15 years. Maybe for me, it was 17 years. I remember during my earlier years as a teenager, I often wonder, when will I get graduated? Because it's so long. Year after year, I've got to sit for tests and exams. I mean, it didn't help when my studies failed me quite badly. <laughs> Extra year doing my A-levels and two additional years in the polytechnic. But it was only, only in my two university years in Australia that I realized that my student life suddenly comes to an end. I don't know why. Maybe I miss Australia life very much. But that was the first time that reality struck me. That as student, as, I mean, as I thought about the possibility of wearing my graduate gown, as I thought about the possibility of wearing my graduate hat, and as I thought about the possibility of receiving my graduate certificate, actually I realized it's not long after all. I have to reluctantly say goodbye as a student. Well, the contrast to the longness and the shortness of life is actually what the psalmist want to see from today's psalms. Because if you were to see from verse 12, okay, sorry, I'm not doing the chronological order. I just jump straight to verse 12 because that is the important key verse over here. 
And this is what it says. Teach us to number our days. That we may gain a heart of wisdom. You see, the psalmist wants God to teach us to number our days so that we may have wise hearts. In other words, he wants us to see, to live our life wisely. That in order to do that, we have to make sense about the reality of life. He wants us in many ways to wear our time lenses again and to step into the shoe of a student. This is of course a prayer. If you notice, it's a prayer by someone none other than Moses. Because if you have listened quite clearly to Fang just now, in the beginning where he says that it's a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Moses is of course no stranger to us. He was the one that has witnessed and was involved in the first exodus. He saw fantastic miracles displayed by God as he begins the work of rescuing the Israelites from Egypt and bring them into the promised land. But this is also the same Moses that has the full experience of knowing the reality of life. Because of the fact that he saw how the rebellion of the Israelites turning against God he saw with first hand of how God's anger was burning against Israelites and punished them by keeping them in the wilderness for 40 years. But more importantly, his eyes witnessed the sober reality of how the entire generation, entire generation that he brought up from Egypt, one by one, started to die in front of his eyes. And therefore Moses wants us to see that in order to live our lives wisely, he will bring the two themes together, running from this passage. That is the shortness of our life, and yet the longness of God's life. And when he do that, we'll be able to see a couple of things, two or three things, about our lives from today's passage. And the first thing that we can see is that because God is internal, we can rest secure. In him. Look down with me to verse 1 and 2. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. I don't know what you gather about mountains. I'm not too sure how many of you have visited or have done some tracks in either Kota Kinabalu or in Nepal. But mountains are often a symbol of permanence, a symbol of immovability. You know, as we think of Mount Everest, this is a picture that I took. You can't help but to stand in awe. That's so majestic. It's so secure. It's dependable. Wonderful thing that it won't disappear even after 50 and 100 years from now. While you have seen a movie, arts movie, you know that some of the heroes, wherever they want to uh, run away from the enemies, the first place they will ever go to is mountains. Because this is a place where they can hide away from the enemies. This is a place where they can, they can find security. The passage here says that God is better here than the mountains. He was already around before Mount Everest is constructed. 
And therefore, it's internal, it's everlasting, it's dependable, it's secure, and it provides protection. And that gives a very wonderful picture of the reason that only God himself can be our dwelling place. Not only for us over here, but from generations to generations. Some of you, like myself, like to take Singapore Airlines, especially when I come back home. I mean, I'm a little bit fortunate because uh, my company insisted that we always take Singapore Airlines. <laughs> but you see, the, you, you feel that you know, when you step onto the Singapore Airlines, wherever your place, wherever the place that you take the airplane from, you feel at home. And the wonderful thing is that once a plane comes down to China Airport, I mean, there's an element of a familiarity. It's an element where you look forward to the SQ stewardess saying to all Singaporeans and permanent residents, a welcome home. And this is precisely why for from this passage, God in many ways is just like you yourself taking a Singapore airline returning and coming back to Singapore. He is our home. He is our habitat. And there's no better place than home than to rest in the arms of an everlasting God. Dear friends, have you found your home in the internal God? Or have you found your security in the things of this world, just like your maybe in your relationship or whether it be with your job? Dear friends, these things are not permanent because no matter how good they might be, it will not last forever. But Woody Allen once says that even when you reach the top of your career ladder, you know what? You are still a rat. How good will it be? I mean, that's a question they'll ask. Like, we can be just like God. But the problem is we cannot, because unlike God who is internal, our life is short. And so the second thing to realize, that the path to living a wise life, is to see that our life is short, our life is transient. Come down with me to verse 3 to 6. You turn people back to dust, saying, Return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight, are like a day that just gone by, or like a watch in the night. Yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it is dry and wilted. Notice a sharp contrast here between the internal God and the human life in verse 3. You see, while God is everlasting and exists from generation to generation, man's ultimate travel journey will only take him back to one place. And that's back to dust. No matter how powerful, no matter how influential you may be, the psalmist say here that you are just, after all, creatures of dust. And the only place where you will return 
It's back to the ground. Earth to earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. This is where our ultimate travel journey will lead us to. But you see, the contrast does not stop from here. In contrast to God's eternity, human life, not even when you can measure up to a thousand years, whether you can measure up to a millennium, our life is significantly very brief. I did the Wikipedia test the other day. I mean, Wikipedia is very helpful. And I realized that the oldest person so far in this world is this French lady who lives up to 122 years. Look on further to the four images that God uses to illustrate this point. The watch in the night, sweep away in the flood, like a dream, and grass renewed in the morning. Those of you who have watched live footage of actual tsunami, there's a picture over there, actually will realize that all it takes is just a few minutes, few minutes for the flood to rush in, to sweep away, and to destroy properties and cruelly human life. This is exactly what God is saying, how life is like. Actually, we don't have to use metaphor or images to help us to see the shortness of life. Yeah, life in reality is here for one minute and gone the next. You know, the, the interesting thing is that I've been living my block of flat for 30 over years. So the block of flat that I live in have neighbors who I get to know over the years. Not very well, but sometimes when they live, you get to see them. Hello, auntie. Hello, uncle. I mean, sometimes you take it for granted because you thought that these are the people that, hey, uh, no matter which day you'll come back, sometimes you'll get to see them. Until suddenly, the next thing you realize, they've already passed away. And one of the wonderful things about social app, I want to talk about social app here because there's a lot of young people. Social app like Facebook is that it uses technology to help you to remember things that you did before. Maybe one year ago, two years ago, or even five years ago. Or you want to remember your favorite holiday trip, your wedding anniversary, or even the friends that you have made on Facebook. I mean, they like to call it in very nice terms. Facebook memory. But do you ever notice the most scary thing is that time passes by so quickly. I mean, the, the, the scary thing is not so much of the picture they put there. They are all very nice pictures, but I want to say that the most scary thing, there's one scary thing inside there. It's not that most scary thing, but it's the only one scary thing inside there. That is that time passes by so quickly. That you probably realize that those beautiful memories that you have on this day are far away, even though that you thought that, eh, hey, that should be a recent picture. I recently saw a Facebook memory of a graduate photo that both Nick and Cody did. I want to see a picture over here. They look very young, right? Yeah. It looks very recent. Maybe you feel that, hey, maybe it looked like one or two years ago. But do you notice that? You notice the next one over there. Where was this taken? 2011. That's almost like six years ago. That's scary. 
Dear friends, what are you building your life on? Never ever fall into the trap that you have all the time in the world to do everything that you want. Some of you over here will think that it's too early to think about spiritual stuff. You may think that maybe once I get a stable job, I can start to come to church more regularly. Or maybe when I retire after 55, I can have the time to study the Bible more. But the truth of the fact is that there are probably not many 10 years that we have in our life. I mean, just be honest with yourself. Take away the first 20 years of your life as a child, as a teenager, and as a student. And also, maybe the last 8 to 10 years of your final stage of your life. You see, our life is very short. And the sad truth is that you will come to an end one day. So if your priority is to build up riches, your priority is to build up success, your priority is to build up a name for yourself, perhaps I can guarantee you all you ever get, maybe the best thing, is a nice tombstone when you leave this world. Maybe your next generation will remember you, but the thing is that I'm not too sure of the subsequent generation. Someone ever asked me this question recently, where my ancestors came from in China? But frankly, I look at them with a blank face in mind. Because I can't even remember any of my grandparents' names. Isn't life so miserable, you may ask? Is life meant to be that way? Why is it that our life is so short? Can't we be like God? And the reason why our life is so short is because we come under the wrath of God. As the psalmist will describe from the next few verses. Look down with me to verse 7 to 11. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures. Yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow. For they quickly pass and fly away. Notice that God is the one who brings our life to an end. And the reason is very simple. The reason is because He is angry. Well, the psalmist who wrote these psalms, Moses, clearly know this very well. I mean, those of you who can recall from the Exodus story will know two big instances where God was burning hot like fire against the Israelites. The first one, if those of you who have studied the Bible overview, you will know that it was the worship of the golden calf by the Israelites when Moses was up in the mountain with God. And the second one, Second one was also equally terrible. It was a refusal by Israel to enter into the promised land and the subsequent grumble against God. And in both cases, God swore to them that He would strike them down and shorten their life. Look with me to Numbers. I mean, you have Bible, please fit with me. Otherwise, you can follow the passage here. Numbers 14, verse 26 to 30. This was after Israel refused to enter into the promised land. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, How long will this wicked community grumble against me? 
I've heard the complaint of these grumbling Israelites. So tell them, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very thing I heard you say. In this wilderness, your bodies will fall. Every one of you, 20 years old or more, who has counted in the census, who has grumbled against me. Not one of you, not one of you will enter the land that I swore with uplifted hand to make your home. I said Caleb and Joshua. You see, just like the Israelites, our life is constantly under God's wrath. Till the final day, till the final minute, and till the final second before we die. Verse 8 tells us very clearly that it's because of our sins. Well, some of you may ask me this question. You no, know, Andrew, I'm not that rebellious like the Israelites. I can vouch for you, I'm better than them. I mean, I don't rob, I don't steal. You look at my public behavior, I don't cheat at all. I don't take drugs. I don't abandon my parents. You look at my conduct in school and my workplace, you look at my record, it's all perfect, it's all excellent. Isn't that okay, you may ask? The problem is that God does not only judge you on your public behavior. Because if you were to look at the same verse, verse 8, notice with me, God looks at your secret sins and your hearts. He looks at your motives. He looks at your pride. He looks at your false humility. He looks at your greed. He looks at your lust and he looks at your heart and your mind. You see, God is not like us. He has a big microscope on his hand that can shine his light through all the way through your veins and your blood vessels. Naturally, if we are honest with ourselves, we can't run away with this reality that we are sinful. And that's the reason why our day will pass by under his wrath. God allows us to do what we want but the reality is that we have to pay with our life. Verse 10 tells us we are on borrowed time. 70 years is a norm. And no matter how much medical science has improved over the years, I mean, you can ask a band or even Golda, throw in another 10 bonus years for you. 80 years. But the scary part as you look from the verses, this 17 and 80 years, are not filled with happiness. Huh? It's actually filled with troubles and sorrows. So well, the shortness of your life, it shows one thing. It shows how serious sin is. And the path to living wisely, I think for us, is that we can't avoid. We can't avoid to think and to talk about this topic. We have to confront it. You see, in the cultural environment that we live in, uh, wherever you meet up with your friends, I'm not too sure, we like to talk about party language, right? Like birthdays, like wedding anniversary, like Facebook memories, that's what you described just now. Nobody is comfortable to talk about death. Nobody is comfortable to talk about writing your will. And nobody is comfortable to talk about doing your funeral arrangement. But friends, it's exactly the same when you talk about sins and God's judgment. 
Every, I mean, everybody likes to hear that God loves you and I have a wonderful plan for your life. But the reality is, God wants us to keep hearing about sins. God wants us to keep hearing about His anger. And God clearly shows us why our human life is so short. And the reason is because of our sin. Romans 6.23 tells us, the wages of sin is death. Hebrews 9.27 says, it's appointed for man to die once, and after that, to face judgment. Well, you may be wondering, well, Andrew, I get what you're trying to say, but can God really be with I mean, can God really be angry with me forever? Surely there must be a solution. Well, the man of God, I mean, which is the psalmist himself, clearly knows that living wisely means that he has to go back to the one who has the solution. And so notice with me, from verse 13 to verse 17, there are three things that he prayed for, three things that he prayed for. Let's look at the passage again. Relent, Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servant, your splendor to their children. May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Firstly, look with me to verse 13 and 14. Moses clearly pleads with the Lord to return to his people in mercy and love. You see, when the Israelites were grumbling against God, when they refused to enter in the promised land. You know the first thing, what did Moses did? The first thing he did was to turn back to the Lord by interceding for his people. God, I mean, Moses did not find excuses for Israel. He knew what Israel did was terribly wrong. So he appeals, he appeals to God to show his steadfast love, to show his compassion, to show his mercy on Israel. Moses know Israel and himself, he will, they will bear the consequences of their sins. But he pleads with the Lord to have compassion on them. And like what verse 14 is saying, he asks God, please satisfy us early with, his, with your mercy so that we can live out our lives, our remaining days, in joy and in gladness. Can we pray for God's steadfast love and mercy? Definitely. In fact, God had already demonstrated His greatest love. And how did He do that? By coming to us. You see, even though He was an internal and finite God, as what you see in verse 1 and 2, even though He created the mountains, He chose to enter into our world of decay. He chose to become a man, just like us. Well, he subjected himself to toys, to struggles, 
the pains. But more importantly, just like us, he bore the full extent of God's anger by going to the cross to suffer for your sins and my sins and die. But I want you to all to see that it is a big difference. He wasn't sinful like us. In fact, he was sinless. He was perfect. But the reason why he did this, and that's what the psalmist was trying to say over here, is because of his steadfast love, because of his compassion. And he did it so that God's anger will no longer fall on you and on me. Dear friends, this man is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. If there's any greater proof that you want to see and experience God's love for yourself, look no further than the cross. If there's any one of you over here who are not fully given your life to follow Jesus, can I plead with you? There's no greater place to find love and forgiveness than Jesus. You see, if you recognize the wretchedness of your sins, if you recognize that what you did deserve nothing except judgment and anger from God. The wonderful thing is that you can pray. You can pray for God's love and mercy to come into your life just by trusting in Jesus. If you are really a Christian, I can encourage you with this truth not to take God's love and mercy for granted. As you pray to God each day, even as you go through difficult times in your life, can I urge you, can I encourage you, keep looking back to the cross. Keep reminding yourself what Jesus did for you at the cross. It far outweighs anything that you're going through at the moment. And the second thing that Moses pleaded for is actually equal time. Well, look at me to verse 15 and 16. May us bless for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. You see, Moses asked for many years of gladness for Israel as the years of trouble and affliction they have seen. Well, after all, they have seen God's judgment for the last 40 years. And now he asks, what he asks is just a simple thing, for his acts of grace to be shown to their children. You may ask, right? Why servants and children? Well, probably now, I mean, by this time when Moses wrote this, I'm not too sure, but probably when he wrote this, he knows that this current generation will not have many remaining days left. But he knows that it is going to be their children. It's going to be their grandchildren, their descendants, who will get to enter into the promised land and to enjoy the kindness and the work of God. And the final thing that Moses asked for is to ask the Lord to look on favor in his people and to make them fruitful in their works. Look now with me to verse 17. May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us, establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Moses knows very well that if God does not go with his people into the promised land, there's one reality. They will not go very, very far. I mean, after all, he has first-hand experience of this incident more than 40 years ago. And the task here is no different because many battles with stronger enemies lies. 
many battles have to be won before they can achieve their mission of crossing into Jordan. Moses knows that if God is not with them, if God does not help them, all the work, all the effort will all be in waste. Well, these three things, the three things that Moses prayed for, also can seems to be the things that we can pray for as well. But I want you to see the reality of this, of this truth. The, dro- the stroking of a death bell. If you look at the picture here, it poses a big question. Does it mean that our lives are heading towards an end? I mean, so what, right? I mean, we can plead for, for God's forgiveness. We can plead for God's steadfast love. We can plead for His acts of mercy to be upon us. But the reality is that, yeah, are we heading towards the death door? I mean, if you all can recall from the, the Exodus story, the current generation after all did die. Not one of them managed to cross into Jordan. So what about us? Do we have the same fate as them? Thankfully for us, we can breathe out the comfort and assurance over at this side of the cross. I mean, Psalm 90, when it ended off, seems very positive, but there's also a very sober and a dark outlook of these Psalms. But the wonderful thing is that for us as Christians over here, it can be replaced by the joy and the victory of a Christian life. Our Lord Jesus Christ who died for our sins, well, He died at a young age of 33. He did not remain at the grave forever. He did not return to dust as what we saw just now for us. Because three days later, God raised him up from the dead. Death has now lost its sting. And the grave has been robbed of his victory. Okay. I encourage you to turn with me to one final passage to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Verse 50 to 58. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I'll tell you a mystery. We are not all asleep, but we will all be changed. In the flesh, in the twinkling of the eye, as the last trumpet, for trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we, are, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gave us a victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Dear friends, we can thank God because He has given us 
He has given us victory over death through Jesus' resurrection from the dead. But the popular evangelist and apologist, Nabil Kurushi, he came to faith reading a Bible to debate a medical school friend. In his testimony, he shared about the God of the Bible reached him. And it was in the Bible where he found Jesus. He said at the time of his conversion, to follow Jesus is worth giving up everything. Following the gospel, following the Lord Jesus Christ, is more than a call to prayer. It is a call to die. And to him, he described the excruciating pain, not only of himself, but of his family members, broken by his decision to become a Christian. But the good news is that God used his brother to be a passionate evangelist, to bring the good news that God's forgiveness was available to all. Sadly, his life was cut short because not long after, he was diagnosed with stomach cancer. And just a week ago, he finally lost the battle and went home to be with the Lord at the age of 34, very young age. Ravi Zacharias, okay, I'm sure some of you have heard about him, a well-known apologist. He's a mentor, he's a god-uncle to Nabil. In fighting his tears as he remembered Nabil, this is actually what he said. I do not mourn for Nabil. I mourn for our broken world, where so much hate and destruction abounds. We have a cancer called sin. We do not like the diagnosis, but it's a killer. The message that Nabil carried was true. God sent his son to heal the disease. And that disease is still killing until we heed that message. May we hear God's voice reminding us that the disease that killed the body is minor. The disease that killed the soul is internal. Nabil wants more than anything else that we carry the message of Jesus to change the world. Only then can we understand that the sad news of Nabil's death is temporary. The good news of his life is internal. Dear friends, Nabil's life, earthly life may end too soon at the age of 34. Yet his life has a very significant impact on the many hundreds and thousands of people that he has spoken to and has reached out to. His life may have ended short, but what he does in a few years of his ministry it's probably more than many of the people who may have lived through 80 years or 90 years. I'm not too sure how much remaining days you and I have left in this world, but let me encourage you that each of you can make an impact to the people around you. Well, I'm not talking about hundreds and thousands here. I'm just talking about people that are close to you, your family members, your colleagues, your relatives, and your friends. And as we do so, let's be praying that God can give us the opportunity to tell them about the steadfast love 
and forgiveness and mercy that's shown to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us be praying for God to show His favour to us and to make our work fruitful as we witness our lives, as we witness for Him and as we live our lives for Him. And finally, let us be praying that we can see that the shortness of our life is not the end of the world. Our hope lies in the life beyond the grave because of Jesus' resurrection. So may this be encouragement to us as we labor on for Him, as we continue to be faithful to Him, to the only one eternal and living God. And I just want to end off with the lyrics of this old and famous song. I'm sure some of you may have heard this song. I learned this song when I was in the Sunday school. Many of you will know this song. Because Jesus lives, I can face tomorrow. Because Jesus lives, all fear is gone. And life is worth the living, whether you live up to 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, or the way up to 80 years or 90 years of life. Life is worth the living just because Jesus lives. Shall we close in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are an eternal and infinite God. You created the mountains and the valleys. You were already there before the beginning of time. Father, we recognize that we are not like you. Our life is short and transient in this world. And therefore, Father, we know that whatever that we build, whatever that we invest our time and energy and resources in this world, they will soon pass and they will soon go away. Father, we pray that you will teach us to number our days. We pray that you give us a heart of wisdom that will be able to see this truth. But more importantly, Father, we will pray that you help us to see that beyond all the symptoms of our shortness of life, is the problem of sin. Father, may we never underestimate the seriousness of our sins and the wrath and anger that we deserve from you. And this afternoon, Father, we pray and we plead that you lift up our eyes to see your steadfast love, your steadfast mercy that you show to us through Jesus' death at the cross. May we be convicted of this truth. The forgiveness can indeed be found in Jesus. That he was the one who ultimately bare the wrath and the anger on our behalf. Father, we thank you. We thank you that we have the hope and victory in Jesus Christ. We thank you that we no longer have to fear that our time is near because of the resurrection of Jesus. Father, may we be encouraged to live out our life for Jesus because he lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.